When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. On the 30th of March, 1948, an organization called the National Music Association was founded at a meeting in Dublin. At a subsequent meeting on May the 18th of that year, the title was changed to the Music Association of Ireland. Since then, it has worked incessantly to realise the objects of its constitution. These objects were set out as follows. Number one, to further musical education. Number two, to improve conditions for composers and musicians generally. Three, to work for the establishment of a national concert hall. Four, to submit recommendations on musical policy to the authorities concerned. Five, to encourage the formation of musical groups, societies and choirs throughout the country. And six, to organise popular lectures, concerts and recitals and to awaken a musical consciousness in the nation. Well, later in the programme we'll be discussing the extent to which these objectives have been realised. But first, a look back at the early years of the association. Mrs Olive Smith, now chairman of the Music Association of Ireland, was one of the early sponsors. She was in turn honorary treasurer and later honorary secretary. Well, it was founded um, from discussions that took place at lunch in, in October 1947 with Michael McMullen, Fred May, Edgar Deal and Brian Boydell. And further after that, uh, to that, they called a meeting of people that they thought were interested. And from that meeting... Another meeting was called on the 30th of March at uh, Dorothy Stokes's studio in Lincoln Chambers. And this meeting, an association called the National Music Association, was brought into being. And the main objects were agreed, and a further meeting was called for the 13th of March, at which this was confirmed, but the name was changed then to the Music Association of Ireland. And an executive committee was elected with Michael McMullen as the secretary and myself as treasurer. Well, then we called a general meeting for the 18th of May. And that meeting ratified the constitution, elected and ratified the council and officers, and we were off. And the subscription was 10 bob. <laughs> a press release was issued on the 22nd of May, to all the Dublin and provincial papers telling about it. In a word, what, what was the, the Music Association setting out to achieve? To try and coordinate music, to, to try and bring together all the various threads that were operating separately and perhaps not getting anywhere. 
Do you mean to say there were a number of factions? In, in the no, no not so much factions. There were, there were small societies and small groups trying to do things, and we felt that something much bigger than that wanted to be done. Strength and unity. We wanted thing, to yes. get the Department of Education to take more interest in music. Dr. Larshi had been doing a lot on that line, and we wanted to strengthen that. As a matter of fact, it's what we said was we wanted to speak with one voice. And by doing this, I think we achieved it, because we got uh, in touch with Radio Air very often, and we criticized them, and they came to us sometimes for advice and help, and the government occasionally asked us for memorandums and various things. We were represented on the new copyright bill. Dr. Potter did tremendous work on that. We sent in a memorandum on music and secondary education. All this kind of thing. And having a big membership behind of first 100, then gradually 400, now nearly 700 we could speak with more authority. And we've managed to stay together for 25 years without having any disruption. <laughs> You've been with them now almost since the beginning. What to you, looking back, are the highlights uh, of the years? Well, I think taking music into the country is one of the big things. It came around about in a rather strange way. Um, Charles Lynch was very anxious that we should do an Arnold Back's memorial concert. And he wanted to do the Bax Quintet. And we asked the London String Quartet, they were then the new London String Quartet, to come over and do it. And this was the beginning of a long association. We did a concert in the Civics Theatre in Dublin, Civics Institute, and then we went to Cork. And when we were going to Cork, the quartet said, why don't we, you do concerts all around the country? So we got busy and... I got in touch with nine centres in the country. What year um, was that, about? 1954, I think, yes, 54 was the Bax Memorial. And in the autumn of that year, we did concerts, string quartet recitals in nine centres in the country. And there's a strange result from that now. Whenever I, you send out a list of recitals to the country, societies. If there's a string quartet available, they always take it. It's the most popular thing in the country, string quartets.
Beati String Quartet, playing Lament by Johnny Vlache. The Music Association, then, has been organising recitals throughout the country since 1954. From 1967 on, particular attention has been devoted to bringing music to the schools. In that year, the scheme of recitals in schools was launched with a grant from the Galbenkin Foundation for the three years 1968, 69 and 1970. In April of 1971, the Department of Education provided an annual grant. Helen Watson, organising secretary of the school's recital scheme, told me how it started. It got off the ground first by fieldwork done by members of its own committee under the Music Association of Ireland. These members went out over the country and uh, they visited schools and asked about the response. And then as they got a good response, they deemed that it was worthwhile beginning and the first recitals were held in the winter term of 1968. Um, what, in the main, are you, you hoping to achieve by this scheme? Well, the scheme has two principal aims. One is to bring live music regularly into the schools so as to give young people the opportunity to acquire the desire to listen to it and perhaps to acquire the desire to make music themselves. In doing this, its very first object is to give pleasure to the children. If you do that, then you may lead on to the other things. The recitals are short, time to last for 40 minutes so as to fit into a school period. The performers introduce the music themselves and demonstrate their instruments. These aren't necessarily young musicians. I mean, They're they... young, I, yes, they uh -huh. are mostly young uh -huh. Irish musicians. Uh -huh. And it gives them a chance. This is the second aim of the scheme. It gives them an opportunity of playing before an audience at an early stage in their career. We like to send them to the more distant schools. We don't go into schools in any of the cities, Dublin, Cork, uh, or Waterford, or Limerick. On the assumption that they have plenty of music, plenty of music yeah. available. We do some schools in County Dublin, but they're not in the city. But are you relying on the kind of demand you get, or do you, do you sort of offer your services? Oh, we offer ourselves. Mm. We do a good deal of, of um, going out and asking them. I don't mean going out personally, mm -hmm. but ringing up. We have a great many schools. We have about 125 schools. We go to quite distant areas. When we do that, areas like Galway, Mayo, Leitrim, Sligo, Donegal, <coughs> Roscommon, Clare, Kerry, Limerick, we arrange recitals lasting over perhaps three or four days. How many recitals would you give in a year altogether? About 125 in the three terms, counting up the three terms. The first term is the big one. Last term was a record with 70-odd recitals representing over 70 schools. One was a big joint recital in a cathedral. Since its foundation in 1948, the association has issued a monthly bulletin. In its pages, at the appropriate time, you'll find details of the annual festival of 20th century music, which has been one of the major achievements of the association. I remember going along to Trinity College in January 1969 to hear the symposium on contemporary music with which the very first festival began. Brian Boydell was chairman. What has come out of this is far too complex, I think, to sum up, as a chairman is meant to sum things up. But it's often occurred to me uh, that... Uh, that one of the chief things that's standing in the way of the ordinary person in coming to, to contemporary music is something which has very much come out this afternoon, though in, in, in bits and pieces and in different forms. And if I could put it possibly in a very simple, almost banal way, uh, I think 
it might help us to think in a new way about what we're going to hear during the week. What it all boils down to, surely, is a matter of prejudice. We are, after all, brought up on a diet of what is fundamentally 80% 19th century music from our concerts. We've got in our minds a deep idea of what music should be. When we come across something which doesn't measure up to that, we have the immediate reaction of a certain amount of incomprehension. As one knows so well from discussing with, uh, uh, I'm thinking particularly of sort of elderly retired colonels faced with Picasso, you know, the sort of thing, they get very angry. People tend to get very angry if they don't understand something. We get angry within ourselves when we don't understand something and we're inclined to take it out on the thing we don't understand instead of taking it out on ourselves. That occasion was the opening of the first festival of 20th century music in January 1969. Mrs. Ina Challoner was organiser of the festival for 1971 and 1972. What prompted the idea of a festival? Well, before I came into the Music Association, in 1954, there were a series of four lunchtime concerts of contemporary music. And I think that these laid the basis for the idea of having a 20th century festival. I think that between 1954 and 1969, there was a big gap. And in 1969, two or three of what I might call our leading musicians came together and discussed the idea of a contemporary music festival, one which should not be confined, I may say, to Irish music, but which should take a look at the developments which were occurring outside the country. Uh, these three musicians felt that it would be too much for they themselves to organise, and they passed the idea back to the Music Association, who agreed that it was a good idea and took it from there. Latterly, the festival has been held in, in mid-year, whereas it started in, in January, if I remember. Yes, that, that is so. Uh, it is, uh, we've only held one festival in mid-year. That was last June. And it, we did this as a kind of experiment. However, we've decided that it was a better idea to hold it in January, and in future the festival will be held in January and will be held every two years. Our next festival will be held in January 1974 and then so on from that, 1976-78. In what way do you think it's developed since, since the very first one? Well, I think, uh, looking at the programmes of the first one, uh, that it possibly now, particularly in 1971 and 1972, we have more unusual and more avant-garde composers in the festival, we've always paid attention to what one might call the, 17, the 20th century greats, Shostakovich, Bartok, Stravinsky, Schoenberg. But now we have people like Ligeti, Berio, Zanakis, Boulez, Cage, and other people. Uh, I would like to see the festival developing along these lines, where lesser-known music is performed. After all, now you find pe people like Shostakovich featuring in promenade concerts, at ordinary concerts in the RDS, and I believe that it is our function 
to provide music which one does not normally hear in a concert hall, and, and so hope to educate audiences. And you, you've always had, uh, from the beginning, a special concern for young composers. Yes, that is true. And uh, I think that we have stimulated interest among young composers. And I'd like to say that as a result of the Young Composers Concerts in this festival, the young composers have now formed themselves into an association of young Irish composers, the idea which stemmed from our festival. One of those young composers at the time was Eric Sweeney. Yes, it resulted from the, the festival when people got together and heard each other's music and they got this idea of forming their own association of composers. What's been your own view uh, as a young composer? Of the festival? Mm. Well, personally, I, I think it's, it's helped me enormously. There's always been this problem in Dublin about hearing contemporary music. There's very little chance for it to be heard. If you go to a concert, um, you hear maybe one modern work, and by modern, I'm, it's generally Prokofiev or Shostakovich, something like that. There's very little contemporary music heard, and the festival um, provides a unique opportunity for that, for an entire week, lunchtime recitals, fringe events, and the, the main evening concerts, you can steep yourself in contemporary music. I think this is very important for young composers. Personally, I've, I feel this has helped me an awful lot. You're hearing the mainstream ideas of, of European music, and other Irish composers' music as well. And I think, ultimately, it's going to create the sort of atmosphere where we might produce a Stravinsky or a Bartok. And now some music by Eric Sweeney, two of the four Italian songs which were presented at last year's festival by the RTE singers. <laughs>
Those two pieces were by Eric Sweeney. In the late 60s, the Music Association of Ireland, in common with many organisations, paid more and more attention to the youth. We've already discussed the introduction of the school's recital scheme in 1967. Also in that year, Ogre Kjoil was set up. Its secretary is Mary Timoney. Well, Ogre Kjoil gives anybody between 14 and 25 the chance to have tickets at a reduced rate for RT concerts, operas and various other recitals and um, it's been going since 1967, uh, starting with rather large membership, up to 800. But unfortunately now it's been going down over the years and up to now we've only got about 67 in Ogregeol this year. Why do you think the numbers are going down? Well, I think maybe one of the reasons people get an awful lot of concerts free nowadays and also young people, they don't really want to go to the bother of having to join something and book tickets early for concerts. They just like to go along at the last minute and take the tickets at the door, you know. Um, but really it's a chance that they shouldn't miss because um, the operas and the RT concerts, no other organisation gets cheap tickets. And it's quite expensive if you're going to go full price all the time. You're giving people tickets at reduced rates, but do you have concerts specifically for young people? Well, there were a few concerts um, a few years back for Obercule members especially. But again, um, a lot of people didn't turn up and it's hard to run these concerts because we don't have much money. So that um, we haven't tried running any of these now for a few years. What way would you like to see it uh, develop from this point? Well, if we could get a lot of members, um, we could possibly uh, go to some of the festivals. For instance, to Edinburgh Festival, we could arrange groups, which would be rather exciting to go and see what goes on in the other countries, you know. Um, 
the youth and music in London has a very, very good membership and they've got terrific advantages, you know. And it's nice to see young people availing of all these chances going mm, to concerts. I'm just thinking of 800 people between the ages of 14 <laughs> and 25 descending in Edinburgh. Well, maybe not 800, <laughs> but uh, certainly more than 66 or 67, you know, at the moment. But, um, what does your own personal involvement with Ogilvy involve now? Well, I um, send out news leaflets about concerts. They get one in October about the symphony concerts and the operas, and then again after Christmas. And I give out the tickets for these. And also we have the youth orchestra as well. Do you include ballet in, in your general We do. When, when there's any ballet on, there, we don't get that much of ballet in Dublin. Indeed. And sometimes we can't get cheap tickets for them. Um, but when there's anything new and interesting on, we try and get tickets for this, you know. Um, they have all the other recitals, nearly all the other recitals around town. Um, Ogrekill people can go as students. They don't have to be students if they're members of Ogrekill. It's just for anybody between 14 and 25. But the general picture is that they're not availing of no, these facilities No, they're not availing of these, this at all. Um, and I think they should. They're missing a good opportunity. With the emphasis still on youth, there was a move to set up a youth orchestra in 1970. Mrs Olive Smith. Well, in Ogre Kill undertook this in 1970, we decided to have an experimental orchestra course and we held it in the convent in Rathnew. We circularised schools and places where we knew instrumental music was taught and we got a very good response, a very exciting response of 68 young people. And they came together at Rathnew under the direction of Hugh Maguire. That was a bit of real inspiration when we thought of Hugh to do it. Uh, it was pretty terrible at first, the sounds that came out. <laughs> we were doing, they were doing the Schubert Unfinished Symphony and it was really unrecognisable, but gradually it emerged. <laughs> and by the end of the time, it was really quite recognisable and quite good. Well, we've had orchestra courses twice, twice a year since then, summer and Christmas. And it's really very exciting now. We had an orchestra of 90 at Christmas last time, and we did the Brahms Fourth Symphony reasonably well. And we're rather hoping that we are going to... We went to Cork last summer, and I think we'll possibly give a concert in Galway next summer, and we're even hoping to go abroad the following summer. There's tremendous enthusiasm among the young people. They work very, very hard and enjoy themselves very much. Still in keeping with its policy of helping the young aspiring musician has been the association's coming out concerts. Mezzo-soprano Anne Woodworth was one of the many artists who availed of this opportunity. It was a very important occasion because it was the first full-scale recital that I'd ever given. And um, this is a very important uh, thing for a singer because it's uh, so such a strenuous thing to give a full recital of roughly an hour and 20 minutes music, uh, whereas normally uh, for a young singer, half an hour short recitals are about the limit. And uh, it's like training for a football match or a, a big race because you have to really work up to this in such a way that uh, your voice is uh, gradually extended in its uh, range and its 
strength so that it can cope with this kind of occasion. So a singer needs a launching pad of this kind? Oh, very much so, because um, the opportunities are very few and far between for recital work for a singer. Well, what what has it meant to you since? Well, it's meant that uh, I have gone on. It's given me the uh, encouragement to know that I can do a recital of that kind, and I have done several recitals since, and uh, it means that now I am facing a London recital in the Wigmore Hall this autumn, which, again, I wouldn't have dreamed of doing if I hadn't had the experience four, five years ago of, of this coming-out recital in Dublin, which, again, I, I couldn't have undertaken on my own, but with the MAI behind me and the encouragement of the committee who organised it uh, was such that uh, I was able to do this. Waffs Mausfallen Sprüchlein, sung there by Anne Woodworth, mezzo-soprano, with Jenny Redden at the piano. The current chairman of the Music Association of Ireland, Mrs Olive Smith, told me that some of the highlights of the association's work, as far as she was concerned, were the centenary commemorations for the great composers of the past, such as the Bach Bicentenary in 1950, the Mozart Bicentenary in 1956, and the Handel Bicentenary in 1959. I asked her what her big disappointment was. The concert hall. I think that's all I need say about that. It has been a frightful disappointment to everybody. We had it just in our hand, and it was taken over by the government in 1964 to be to become the Kennedy John F. Kennedy Memorial Hall, and that, as far as one can see, has been the end of it. There's no doubt but the Music Association of Ireland has achieved a great deal in its 25 years. But has it achieved its original objectives? Has it been in the main successful? What remains to be done? With me, two members of the association, its chairman, Mrs. Olive Smith, and its secretary, Brian Grimson, also composer, Shosha Budley, and critic, Judith Siegel. Um, Brian Grimson, first of all... um, are you happy with the way the, the work of the association has gone? Well, though I say it as shouldn't, I think that we probably have some reason to feel proud of ourselves. Looking over the list of our aims and objectives, I think we can say that we've more or less covered most of them. Uh, I think I'd like to mention that, uh, about the Music Association is that it is an amateur body uh, kept alive by its members. Uh, I, I think that um, a certain amount of praise should go to the loyalty of the 600 or so members plus the 1,200 extra corporate members which we have. Mm. What do these members pay you, by the way? 
They pay us uh, two pounds a year, for which they get their three members' concerts in the year and free copy of Counterpoint by post every month. So you seem quite insistent that it's an amateur effort in the main. Well, uh, perhaps not amateur in effect, I would hope, but um, the, the point is that everybody that works for the Music Association works on an honorary basis. Um, just at this point, I think it might be no harm to mention the, the objects of the Association as set out in the Constitution. Number one, to further musical education. Number two, to improve conditions for composers and musicians generally. Three, to work for the establishment of a national concert hall. Four, to submit recommendations on musical policy to the authorities concerned. Five, to encourage the formation of musical groups, societies and choirs throughout the country. And six, to organise popular lectures, concerts and recitals and to awaken a musical consciousness in the nation. Before moving to our composer and critic, Mrs Smith, can we hear from you on how you think these objectives have been realised? Well, <clears throat> I think as far as the country goes, it's been very well realised through our tours to music societies within the country and through encouraging music societies to become established. The school scheme, I think, is a wonderful insurance for the future. Every year now, into about 120-odd schools in every county in Ireland, these recitals are going. Um, Shosha Bondley, a general comment before getting down to conditions yes, for composers yes. specifically. Uh, <coughs> well, I think the objects of the Music Association have been realised to a considerable degree, but uh, it's fairly obvious that there are uh, certain branches, uh, I speak partly as a composer here, that will, can still be furthered and one hopes will be furthered. What have you in mind particularly? Well, um, I have in mind particularly that uh, we've done a great deal, I think, for contemporary music. Uh, the 20th Century Festival is, is probably the greatest evidence of this. There are some other aspects, perhaps, that, that could uh, be helped. Audience cultivation, that is, to enlarge the size of our audiences, if this is possible, and also to broaden their scope. And uh, as well as this, perhaps we might at some time look at the question of repeat performances of works, because this is one of the problems... Uh, at the moment is that we have so many first performances and no second performances. A few things like that come to my mind. Right, well, we have a number of things uh, there, but a general comment from you, Judith Siegel, as, as music critic. Well, may I say, first of all, Andy, that um, I feel this devoted and dedicated body, the Music Association, um, has really provided most of the concrete increases in musical education in this country. I, think, I mean, I don't think anybody can correct me on that and never so, uh, has so much be, been done by so few for so many, if I may paraphrase it. Um, the point is that it's very hard to find enough workers to carry on work of the, these vast proportions, but if the Music Association carries on in the, in the next 25 years in the way they have done the last 25 years, I think music and musical education in Ireland is quite safe. So Brian's point about it being an amateur effort in the sense of, of voluntary contributions is quite significant here. Yes, it's probably if you had people being paid for the work, it wouldn't be done with so much devotion. Mm. Uh, Brian Grimson, just to take that point that Churchill Bodley made there about... Um, repeat performances. Have you thought of this? Well, of course, it's a thing that we've seen being done in other countries at other concerts. Um, very often, uh, for example, take an opera, a modern opera, uh, 
there may be considerable expense involved in having it done even once. But certainly with a lot of shorter works, I, I can't see why, a, for example, um, even in the one concert a piece couldn't be repeated. Are you happy that you're getting the, the audiences for your, your contemporary festival, Festival of Contemporary Music? Because you, you have moved it uh, now back to, to January, uh, which in some way implies that last year was, wasn't quite successful. I think uh, our audience for last year was as good as any other audience. It's even better. Even I better. Think. The yes. figures were up somewhat. But, um, so the moving I, back has nothing to do with... with, with no, um, I think it's more for internal administration and um, perhaps to fill a gap at that particular point in the yes. But, Shosha, you employed something there about the um, festival that yes. uh, you were unhappy with it in some way. No, uh, no, I didn't mean to imply that I was unhappy. But uh, I'm just, just simply making the point that the festival encourages very much first performances, you know? And it is also essential that we get repeat performances, perhaps outside of the festival. Nobody has mentioned that the concert hall so far. Um, I take it that that's because <laughs> it's, it's, it's so <laughs> obvious a disappointment to you all, rather than that you're, you're, you're uh, not concerned. We have concerned plenty to say about it, I think. Uh, we were just waiting to be given the opportunity. You haven't given up, I take it. In On the contrary, we've revived uh, our efforts in that direction as from last December and have a special committee working on it now, it, primarily to bring the thing to the notice of the public again. You see, time and time again you get the response, oh, nobody's interested in it, nobody wants it. But, in fact, that is not true. I think it's a national characteristic that we don't, uh, when, when asked, even write letters about things that annoy us. Uh, you, you hear time and time again at concerts in the Gaiety Theatre, for example, oh, wouldn't that have sounded much better if we had a proper hall to listen to it in? Uh, time and time again, but nobody will sit down and put a pen to paper about it. So this is what this committee is working yes, on. Yes, uh, I think this is very true, and it's also true, since you mentioned uh, concerts in the Gaiety Theatre, that it must be rather disheartening for the players who must feel that they can't really be heard as they, as they are playing from so many parts of the house. So and not only symphony orchestra players, yes. but uh, other groups and uh, top artists. Who, who, there just isn't the accommodation to put a major artist in, in Dublin. Uh, no foreign symphony orchestra will come. No major pop group uh, can be brought to Ireland because there's nowhere suitable to put them. I if, take, yes. if they do come, uh, certainly in the pop world, I, I think that you know, they, they don't even have to advertise. They won't advertise a major pop concert because they couldn't accommodate the people who want to come. Well, of course, I, I think that, if I might, might say this, that the pop groups, in a way, have a certain advantage there, since you're, the, you're dealing with amplified sound, so that you can adjust, for instance, to a place like the Liberty Hall uh, Auditorium, yes, this, you know, which you can't do with the symphony orchestra. For, for, for but the Liberty Hall Auditorium is a very small one, even... Well, ad admittedly, but uh, I'm thinking, uh, quite apart from size, the that, that the, it doesn't... Mm. Uh, it doesn't lend itself to ordinary music, you know? No. The, the acoustics are, are not good for ordinary music, mm -hmm. but they're quite all right if you can amplify the sound. Right, well, we'll we leave that one there, because quite clearly you all seem agreed on the desirability of it. It's, it's a question of uh, you keeping up your, your particular campaign. Do you think in general that you have influenced, I mean, one of your objectives here to, to, um, uh, to improve, uh, well, let's say, to further musical education, do you think you've contributed You've influenced policy. Mrs. Smith. I think perhaps we have, to some degree, 
there have been several memorandums on education sent in to the department on one occasion at their request for a memorandum on, on music in secondary education. And although we maybe don't see it immediately, it does trickle through. Things have improved as regards music and education, but there's a tremendous lot more to be done. The particular need, as I see it, is for instrumental teachers of all kinds throughout the country. Now, to give you a particular case, the youth orchestra requires wind and brass players and the more unusual instruments. And we, at this moment, are bringing up three children every second week from Balnakil to have lessons in flute, horn and trombone. There's another school that I know of where there are 64 children learning the violin, but they haven't got a really... Uh, well, they haven't got a violin teacher who is a real violinist herself. I think that isn't only the case in the provinces either, but even in, in Dublin City itself, there are just not enough places in the colleges of music or enough teachers to uh, go around the, to supply, f sorry, to satisfy the demand. There's an enormous yeah, so demand. Th that's now. true. So this, this, is, this is an area where you might be trying to influence um, educational policy. I think we will be giving our thoughts to that in the very near future. We want the peripatetic teachers to go around the country in the meantime until something more permanent can be done. One of the things that you seem mainly concerned about is spreading music right throughout the country, and yet one gets the impression that, that lots of places, indeed some big centres, are not as musical as they were. They're, they're not the big musical centres say they were um, 10, 20 years ago. Mrs Smith. The big centres, do you mean Sligo, Waterford, these places? Waterford has a very flourishing music club. Yes, you've picked the ones that, that are flourishing, but I'm thinking of yes, ones that perhaps aren't. I, well, <coughs> for instance... And they'll take the West of Ireland, for example. Oh, well, there's very little music in the West of Ireland, but it's coming, I think. It's coming into the schools now in the West of Ireland, and that may create an audience in the future. I mean, surely to this degree you, you, you must... Uh, consider that your work hasn't been as successful as it might in view of the fact that uh, if you can say that the West of Ireland isn't, doesn't have um, well, they anything have, like a vigorous music. They have music their now. own um, traditional music which is very, very flourishing in Clare and Donegal yes, and well, up well, the well, West Coast. And, and therefore they have music. It maybe isn't our particular, the particular kind of music we're trying to spread but they do have lots of music. Well, I, I think the, the, it's a question really of institutions, you know, because what we might roughly call classical and its music and its modern developments depends on having a certain size of city, really, or else an institution of a particular type to, to run it. Uh, the, the traditional music, of course, is a different matter altogether. It, it doesn't depend on institutions as such. It is essentially its own popular grounds. Of course, I suppose, I suppose well. there's a very yeah. fundamental question raised here, and that is, um, as implied in Mrs. Smith's uh, answer, that uh, if these centres don't want um, the kind of music that uh, the association would bring them, then you know that's that's their wish, and that's the end of it. Or do you see it like that? Well, I, I don't think it's a question entirely of one or the other. You know, there is room for both. And uh, I think there's room for even the, the same people to have an interest in both. Certainly, the, in my own case. I mean, this is very much Brangrimson, isn't it? The area that you're, you know, that you're, you're essentially on about this, this um, yes, spread of, of music in this we, sense. 
In a smaller uh, community, so often the development of an interest in that sort of music depends very often on the enthusiasms of one particular person. And um, take Galway, for example, uh, to the best of my knowledge, it is a part of the country now which is, to a certain degree, impoverished musically. And that could very well be due to the absence of one live wire in that area. Um, I suppose we should send our spies out there and find, is there anybody w w wanting to organise something for us down there? This is the but idea of the schools recitals. You're bringing it into all these schools, in Leitrim and Roscommon and uh, Donegal and Clare, all these places where there, where there isn't much of what we call our kind of music. And this is creating an interest among the, the children. And we're hoping that yes, this I suppose you're really not musical proselytizers. What you're doing, I suppose, is increasing the range of choice for people. I suppose yes. that's, yes. that's well, this, what this is really doors. the thing, yes. yes. It's not an object to force any particular type of music down anybody's <laughs> necks. No, I think uh, it not. so happens that we deal in that sort of music because other bodies deal with other types of music. And so much needed to be done, and still needs to be done in that area. Judith Siegel, have you any thoughts on this area of music outside of? Yes, well, I think you see, Mrs. Smith put it in a nutshell when she said, "It's the young people the association is trying to get at, so when they grow up and come to be our age, um, they will have something to supply." And I think this might be a little bit off the trend of your program, Andy. But there, I wanted to say a word about. Um, making use of the young people. There is this Ogrecule, um, an offshoot of the association. I did hear Mrs. Smith in private conversation saying that um, they don't seem to want to do the work. They like to have it done for them. I think if one can make as many executive organisational positions for the students themselves, you'll find they will do more and bring their friends in to do it. And I think you had a sort of a foresight of that with the very first... Um, night when these young people stood out in pouring rain handing out slips for the concert hall um, I feel that this, the young people really are the ones that have to be fostered. Shosha Bondley you deal a lot with, with young people Yes, so, uh, well I mean I agree in, entirely with, with the importance of this there are, there are several uh, aspects of, of this, this question uh, young, it, it is important for instance uh, if I may re return to my own particular field, namely composition, the, the furtherance of the, the young composers and the, their encouragement was a matter of importance, which this, I think, really arose very largely out of the first 20th century festival. But um, I do think, too, that we also have to be careful that we don't leave a gap, a sort of age gap, in the middle somewhere. You know, in other words, that people are not furthered to do something for which there is no future. Follow what I mean? Yes. I'm thinking of the time, for instance, when, uh, say, such a fine pianist as, as Charles Lynch was playing music in the tea rooms. And, it, you know, this seemed to me a typical case where uh, somebody had been furthered, had grown up and become a first-class musician, and yet at that particular time there didn't seem to be very much for him to do, that he should have to do this. You follow what I'm getting at? Yes. Talking about young people reminds me um, of a, a, sort of a mistaken idea which has got around that music, particularly classical music and its modern developments, uh, is the preserve of a certain section of society. Uh, some people call them the, the stockbroker belt from Fox Rock. 
nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, if you go to any concert uh, in the city, you'll find that a huge proportion of that audience is made up of young people. Uh, it's, uh, and young people are not only interested in pop music or what have you, they have, they have very wide interests, and I think this is probably one of the uh, results of in, in great improvements in education in this country. Largely, we see yourself in the future as concentrating on this particular section, on youth generally, in terms of attendance at, uh, at your concerts and so on. I don't think we have any particular policy about who we'd like to see at our concert. We want everybody to come. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a matter, really, of, of keeping the continuity going. In other words, that there is a younger audience to replace the older audience, so to speak. Do you think the younger audiences uh, are either or in terms of their choices, either pop or classical or folk? Are, are people listening mm. to different kinds of music yes. across the board? Mm. Oh, yes, across, I think so. Uh, absolutely. Yes. Lots of people listen to different sorts of music today. Uh, well, for example, I was present at the last orchestral course of the Irish Youth Orchestra and it was wonderful to see these uh, young, young people who a half an hour earlier had been playing Brahms, uh, Brahms Symphony and then after the rehearsal, they were outside with their guitars, strumming away at the latest pop stuff. Uh, that's what it should be like. Well, as you will have gathered from that discussion, the association's hope for the future lies with the young people. Here's the youth orchestra playing the scherzo from Brahms's Fourth Symphony. It was recorded at their most recent concert at the RDS. <laughs>
the scherzo from Brahms's Fourth Symphony, played by the National Youth Orchestra, one of the most recent ventures introduced by the Music Association of Ireland, which today is 25 years old. Long may its work continue. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save 